Father in heaven, great is thy faithfulness toward us. And today we bow before you on your holy Sabbath day of rest, a day that we have set aside for fasting, for praying. As we open up your words, I pray, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. Be with those who are joining us for the first time, those locally here and those joining us online. Forgive us of our sins and bless us now, we pray, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's go back to Matthew 25. Matthew chapter 25. As we continue our series dealing with the parables of Christ, the kingdom of grace, the kingdom of glory, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want to say this. You know what? I want every one of you, if you have not done this, I'm going to ask you kindly to do this. I know most of you online knew about this day of fasting and praying. Safe to serve online. Amen. All right. Take a book, uh, a small booklet, sheet of paper, and I want you to pray and ask God to help you to write down the most important things that you are seeking God's deliverance for. The most important things you're seeking God's deliverance for. And what I want you to do is not to try and pray over all these, let's say, let's say, for example, 10 things on your paper. Don't try to pray over all 10 things at once. Don't do that. At each interval of our prayer session throughout our day, there are various things that we shall be praying for. When you have done that, then take out your sheet of paper that you have your items, the things that you want God to grant deliverance for. All right. And I want you to take one or two, two or three, the most of those things and really agonize with God over that one thing, that two prayer requests, those three things. And ask God to give you some promises from his word to claim as you pray for each item. As a result, you're not just praying to the wind, you are praying the word of faith. And as a result, your faith will be increased as a result. Now, that's number one. Number two, every time, again, as you go throughout this day, every time your belly growls, every time you feel hungry, every time you feel hungry, the thought comes back to your mind, I haven't eaten breakfast. Every time that belly makes a noise, don't think about the food. Say, dear God, give me strength to divert my mind from earthly food, from temporal food, and to place my thoughts, my mind on the spiritual nourishment. Tell him, number three, tell him, Lord, I'm hungry physically, literally, I'm hungry. I can feed the hunger pangs, but I'm more hungry for your blessings and your deliverance. Is that point clear? Every time those hungry thoughts come, that desire comes. Lord, I am more desirous to receive the spiritual blessings rather than temporal food. And what is happening here, you take your mind off literal food, now your mind is on spiritual things. If that's clear, my friend, say amen. amen. 
And number two, what's happening here is that you are gaining the formula of how to say no to the flesh. No to the flesh. No to physical desires and yes to Jesus. That's why fasting and praying are so important. So important. By God's grace, you can say no to the flesh and yes to Christ. If that's clear again, say amen. amen. Friends, if you don't do as God says we ought to do right now, then you'll go throughout this day just having a form of godliness and lacking the power of God. Put what I'm saying, what God is saying to you, in practice as you go throughout this day. I'm more hungry for the spiritual blessings, for this promise to be fulfilled in me, than for temporal food. So now, if you have learned the secret, how to say no to good things, because nothing is wrong with want to eat good food, nothing is wrong with that. And as you're learning to say no to that which is good, then my friends, you can easily now say no to that which is evil. When Satan comes to tempt you after the fasting and praying day is over, when he comes tomorrow, when he comes Monday, etc., then you have learned the formula to say yes to Christ and no to Satan. If that's clear, my friends, say amen. All right. Matthew 25. Go there with me. So start putting those things on your notepads, on your paper. Most of you received bulletins when you walked inside here. Find a place on your bulletin, but make sure you also have a place for your notes. Amen? And write down those things. Put a column. These are my prayer requests, my personal prayer requests. Don't share them with another. It's just between you and God. Is that clear? All right. Matthew 25. Go there with me. Verse number one. We are now going to begin our Bible study. Verse number one. Are we there, my friends? It says this, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto how many? Ten virgins, which took their lambs and went forth to do what? To meet the bridegroom. Now, again, by way of review, who is this bridegroom? The bridegroom is Christ. And who would the ten virgins represent by way of review? The church, those who are professing a true message. Now notice, Based on what we have covered so far, what time period, let me see if you all have been listening and did your homework. What time period does Matthew 25 cover? What date begins Matthew 25? What date, what year begins Matthew 25? Come on, what year? 1833. Why do we say 1833? Why do we say that, my friends? It's right there on your screen, based on, look at the screen, based on Great Controversy, page 393. I won't read that. We have covered that before. It's on your sermon notes. Talk to me. Why do we say Matthew 25 begins in the year 1833? Why do we say that? Talk to me. Why? What word is in verse 1? Then. The first word is then. And what does then do to Matthew 25? It shows it is a continuation of Matthew 24. And Matthew 24 speaks about signs leading to the second coming of Christ. Amen? And Matthew 25 shows us the condition of the church leading to the second coming of Christ. And what is that final scene or sign, that, that last event, 
in Matthew 24 that shows us the second coming of Christ is near. What is that last sign in Matthew 24 and verse number 29? What's the last sign? The falling of the stars. What date was that? 1833. So Matthew 25 now says, Then shall what? The kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lambs and went forth expecting, proclaiming the coming of the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Now, they took lambs. What do lambs represent in scripture? The lambs. The lambs represent God's word. Question now. So what specific scripture were those virgins, those Christians, studying in 1833 and proclaiming in 1833 that the bridegroom, Christ, was coming soon? What text were they preaching specifically? What text? Thank you so much. Put it down beside verse 1. Daniel chapter 8 and verse 14. This is what the history books say. They were studying chapter 8 of Daniel and verse number 14. Could you kindly hold your place right here? Go there with me. Chapter 8 of Daniel. And also write down chapter 14 of Revelation, verse 7 and verse 8. The first angel's message and the second angel's message. All right. Chapter 8 of Daniel. Look at verse number 14 with me. Together, what it says. What? Come on, what it says. And he said unto me, unto when? 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Talk to me now. When did the 2,300, not days now, but years, a day for a year in prophecy, when did that time frame begin? 457 BC. When did it come to an end? October 22nd, 1844. Could you kind of put that there beside verse 14? October 22nd, 1844. And then the Bible says the cleansing of the sanctuary would take place. My question for you, which sanctuary was to be cleansed in 1844? Which sanctuary? Why the heavenly and not the earthly? What happened to the earthly sanctuary? It was abolished when Christ died on the cross, as God is concerned. The veil of that temple was what? Rent from top to bottom, signifying in God's eyes, the earthly sanctuary had come to an end. So its sanctuary had to be cleansed in 1844. The heavenly sanctuary. Question now, which apartment did the high priest enter to cleanse the sanctuary which apartment the most holy place based on leviticus chapter 16. so what place did christ enter into in 1844 to begin the work of cleansing of that sanctuary what place most holy place is that point clear my friends so now what needs to be cleansed from the sanctuary in heaven what must be cleansed from that sanctuary? It's sin. Who sins? Who sins? It's my sin. It's your sin. Can Christ cleanse sins that we have not forsaken? No, my friends. So what is God telling us then? What must we surrender? 
so Christ can cleanse us and cleanse our record in the heavenly sanctuary. What must we forsake? What must we surrender? We must, my friends, surrender every known sin. Quote with me John chapter 14, verse 15. And what does Christ say? If you love me, do what? If you love me, keep my commandments. And we cannot be obeying God's commandments and sinning at the same time. So if we are falling in sin, what do we need more of? The love of Christ. Meditating more on Christ. The cleansing of the sanctuary. Quote with me. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. God's word says, The love of Christ constraineth us. So what will cause us from sinning, my friends? The love of Christ. So we cannot say that we know Christ if we are still sinning habitually and sinning willfully. We have not known Jesus, my friends. We don't know God. We don't know God. And that's why... Christ said to Moses, in that wilderness, those who were stung by the serpent, let them behold the serpent, and those who look shall what? Leave. We have to behold him, my friends. And that's why John the Baptist said in John chapter 1 and verse 29, quote that with me. When John saw Christ coming, what did he say? Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. So what must we behold to get victory over sin? We must behold Jesus. How do we do that, my friend? In prayer, in fasting, in the study, in the contemplation, in the meditation of God's word. This is how we behold him. And this is the message Christ cleansing the sanctuary. And before Christ can cleanse the sanctuary of our forsaken sin, he must first investigate us. He must first do what? So what work began in the heavenly sanctuary in 1844 by Christ? What work began then? The work of investigative judgment. And now in 2017, are we living at the beginning of it or the ending of the judgment? Ah, my friends, how close are we? Go back to Matthew 25 with me. All right, Matthew 25. And look with me at verse number 6. What says verse 6 now? Matthew 25 and verse number 6. Together, what it says. And at midnight, there was a cry made. What was that cry? Again, what was that cry? It says, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go you out to meet him. So now, in 1833, where was Christ and where was he coming to? Where was Christ leaving? Where was Christ going to? October 22nd, 1844, where was he coming from? The holy place in the heavenly sanctuary. Where was he going to? The most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. Again, to begin what work? The work of investigative judgment. To get ready to blot out forsaken sins. To make sure our names enter and remain in the Lamb's book of life. Is that point clear? All right. Go down with me to verse number 10 of Matthew 25. And verse number 10, God's word says this. Together what it says. 
And while they went by, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was what? Shut. Pause right there. I don't want to read too fast. You missed the point. Go back to verse 10. What's the first phrase in verse 10? And while they went to buy, that's the first phrase. And what is your second phrase? The bridegroom came. All right. Came to where? The most holy place. What date? October 22nd, 1844. And what began in the next phrase? October 22nd, 1844. What began when Christ moved to the most holy place? The bridegroom came. And what happened next? And they that were ready went in with him to what? The marriage. And what? And the door was shut. All right. Put these two lines on your paper. These two lines. The marriage began in 1844. What, my friends? The, oh, 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 beloved, you're not writing. Don't get me sat up here. Come on. What began in 1844? It says the marriage began. And what else? And the door was shut. Put that down. Marriage began in 1844. Next phrase. The door was shut. All right. What marriages began in 1844? What did Christ go in to get married to? And the marriage means to receive something. What did Christ go in to his father to receive in 1844 his kingdom question does Christ receiving his kingdom brings to view a marriage what text say that uh, let's read that hold your place Matthew 25 go with me chapter 21 in the book of Revelation where are we going to my friends chapter 21 in the book of Revelation the Bible says here in verse number 2 it says, and I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as what? As a bride adorned for her husband. And you can read verse 9 and verse 10. And note now, put down, put down Daniel chapter 7. Put down the 7th chapter of Daniel. Verse 9, put that down. Verse 10, put that down. Verse 13, put that down. Verse 14, that's it. Put that down. Christ went in to his father in 1844 when the books were open, when the judgment was set. Books were open, 1844. To receive his kingdom, the marriage. Is that point clear, my friends? So now, what did Jesus say in John 14? Verse 1 through verse 3. Quote that with me. What did Christ say? Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to what? Prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be. There you may be, praise God. There you may be also. And when did Christ go in to his father to receive that kingdom? What year? 1844. 
and the kingdom will be given to him at the end of his priestly work. So now, must we expect Christ coming with that kingdom anytime soon? Is Jesus coming quickly? Look at me. Is Christ coming quickly, my friends? It, do you believe it? Don't wink if you believe it. Do you believe it, my friend? All right, look with me. Matthew 25, go back there. Christ is coming quickly. But who does Christ want to put in the kingdom? His faithful church. So what must Christ also, who must Christ also be married to? He must be married to his church. And the marriage, Matthew 19, the two shall become one. And what separates us from Christ? Sin. So what must we surrender to be married to Christ? Ah, oh, my friends, we must surrender every known sin. And this is what the midnight cry is all about. Go down to verse 10 again. Matthew 25, verse 10. And while they went by, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the, what, the marriage. And what happens next? And the door was shut. What does that mean, the door was shut? Put down on your people now. The door was shut means the close of probation. That means this midnight cry message has in it the shut door. The shut what, my friends? The shut door. It began in 1844. It goes all the way until Jesus stands up. And the door of probation, the door of salvation will be forever shut. No more opportunities to receive God's mercy. The close of due man probation. That means any person who rejects the midnight cry message upon them, the door will be shut. And what is the midnight cry? Talk to me. I don't want to lose you. What is the midnight cry message? It's right there. It's right there. Open Bible test. It's right there. What is the midnight cry message in verse 6? What is it, my friends? Behold, the bridegroom, where is he coming from? Holy place. To where? Most holy. To begin which work? So now if we reject the message of the judgment, how will you live in harmony with the judgment message? Upon you, the door will be shut. Anybody who rejects this message that Christ wants to be married to us, upon them the door will be shut. What must we give up to become one with Christ? So those who refuse to surrender every willful sin, every known sin, upon them, the Bible says, the door will be shut. All right. Do you know why I'm driving this point home? May I ask you a question? All right. How many of you know what doctrine led Jesus to give Ellen White her first vision? I'm going to pause for two seconds. Who knows? Huh? It's right there. Amen. It's the shut door message. So what we're studying here, if you profess to be a Seventh-day Adventist, if you profess to be a Bible-believing Christian, if you profess to believe in the spirit of prophecy, 
If you profess that God gave to his remnant last day, his remnant movement, his remnant church, an inspired messenger, you must also know what doctrine, what issue caused Jesus to give her her first vision. And whatever that issue, that doctrine was, it has to be important. That caused God to give Ellen White her first vision. What was that issue? The issue was the open and the shut door. Right here, the midnight cry. Shall we go to the screen? Oh, friends, look at this. It says in Selected Messages, book one, page 63 at first, and you can watch the next pages. It says this. Come on, let's read. For a, from top, for a time. After what? For a time after the disappointment in 1844, I did hold in common with the Advent body that the door of mercy was then forever closed to the world. All right. This position was taken before, before my first vision was given me. It was the light given me of God that corrected our error and enabled us to see what the true position. So now, in short, when October 22nd, 1844 came around and there was a great disappointment, Christ did not return to the earth. The pioneers believed the door of salvation was forever shut for the world. And only in a few more days, Jesus will come. The Adventist body believed that. And this prompted God now to give Ellen White her first vision. That means this doctrine has to be important. What do you say? Let's read the vision now. Second paragraph, together from top. What, come on, while praying, at the family altar, the Holy Ghost fell on me. And I seemed to be rising higher and higher, far above the dark world. I turned to look for the Advent people in the world, but could not find them. When a voice said to me, look again, and look a little higher. At this, I raised my eyes and saw a straight and narrow path cast up high above the world. On this path, the Advent people were traveling to the city, which was at the farther end of the path. Let's read now with emphasis. Come on. They had a bright light set up behind them at the first end of the path, which an angel told me was the midnight cry. Oh, my friends. The shut door, Matthew 25. Her first vision to make sure God's people understands the shut door message, the midnight cry. That means if you reject this midnight cry message, if you don't overcome sin, you are a lost soul. Do you want to be lost? Do you want to be saved? All right, it goes on. Next paragraph. 
It says this. Watch. This light, come on, this light shone all along the path and gave light for their feet so they might not stumble. And if they kept your eyes fixed on Jesus, who was just before them, leading them to the city, they were saved. But soon some grew weary and said, and they said the city was a great way off and they expected to have entered it before. Then Jesus would encourage them by raising his glorious right arm. And from his arm came a glorious light which waved over the Advent band. And they shouted, Hallelujah! Other, watch now, others rashly denied the light behind them. What were they denying? The midnight cry message. Chapter 8 of Daniel, verse 14. The three angels, the judgment message. Let's read. Others, come on, rashly denied the light behind him and said that it was not God that had led them out so far. The light behind them went out, leaving their feet in perfect darkness, and they stumbled and got their eyes off the mark and lost sight of Jesus and fell off the path down in the dark and wicked world below. What does that say if we reject the midnight cry message? What does that say, my friends? We are lost. We are going to stumble, fall off, and be lost. Jesus says when he came, they that were ready went into the marriage, and the door was shut. What does it mean to be married to Jesus? Oh, beloved. So those who reject the judgment message that there is a, a heavenly sanctuary, and Christ is now in the most holy place since October 22nd, 1844, conducting the work of judgment, and we must forsake every sin because we love Jesus, will fall off and be lost. All right, let's get back here. It says now, on page 162, it says, come on, it was just as impossible for them to get on the path again and go to the city as all the wicked world which God had rejected. They fell all the way along the path one after, so not only those in 1844, because this light of the midnight cry shines until we get to where? The celestial city. So from 1844 until Christ comes, those who reject the midnight cry, what will happen to them? They shall stumble. Those who refuse to give up sin, they will stumble and what? Fall and be lost. All right. Back to the screen. It says now, watch. It says, I was shown in vision, and I still believe that there was a shut door in 1844. It began there, my friends. All who saw the light of what? The first, oh my friends, and the second angels, messages, and rejected that light were left 
in darkness, and we have professed Seventh-day Adventist pastors and professors who say there's no such thing as a, as a heavenly sanctuary. There's no such thing that Christ began his work in the most holy place, October 22nd, 1844. And these are the children, the students of Desmond Ford. So those who sit in those churches and imbibe those doctrines, they're in darkness. They're in darkness. But bear in mind, don't think you're okay. Bear in mind, you can be around the light but the light not in your heart. We must be married to Jesus. So was there a shut door that began in 1844? Yes, my friends. Will there be a shut door in the last days? And this is a part of the midnight cry message. We must know our history. May I ask you a question? Was there a shut door in the days of Noah? Watch carefully. So while there was a shut door in the days of Noah, was there also an open door? How long did Noah preach for? 120 years. Was Noah's message based on prophecy? Did Christ promise a flood would come? That's prophecy. Did the flood come? That means for 120 years, was there an open door? Yes, there was, but how many entered? How many were ready and entered? Only eight, my friends. And the Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when in the last days. Is there an open door today? But will there be a shut door very soon? Did God shut the ark's door? Was there a shut door in the days of Lot? Was there a shut door in the days of Lot? Yes, there was. And what happened? But before God shut that door, when the angels left Abraham and came down to see Lot and walked in that house, was there an open door there? Yes. Do you know why? Because Abraham was pleading, Lord, if you can find 50. And then not 50, wasn't, 50 weren't even there. If you can find, you know the story. And notice, Christ could not even find more than three. And professed Christians were down there. If not, why would Abraham say, if you can find 50, will you spare it? 50 who? Drunkards? No, 50 Christians. Was there an open door? Yes. But one day what happened? There was a shut door. Is the world today like Sodom? Is the world today like Sodom? Is sodomy running into our churches, in our pulpits of the land? Oh, my friends, is there a shut door coming? And guess, oh, you're not writing. You see how you're looking at me? You're not writing. You are waiting on the sermon notes. You need to write. So was there a shut door in the days of Noah? Put it down. Was there a shut door in the days of Lot? Yes, my friend. Let me tell you something. Put this down on your paper. When you die, your door is shut. So, friends, you don't have to wait much longer. When you die, the door of mercy, salvation, probation is shut on your account. Why? There is no repentance in the grave. 
whithersoever thou goest. That door of opportunity to be saved is shut. Ah, oh, beloved. Next point. I want to tell you something. Do you know that door can be shut and you are, and you are alive still? My friends, your probation can close and you are still walking alive on this earth. Are there any, are there any biblical examples of this? Huh? In the Old Testament, I heard it. In the Old Testament, King Saul, 1 Samuel, chapter 28 and verse 6. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him, not neither by dreams, nor by Urim, that's the priest, nor by prophets. And this was done before King Saul went to the witch of Endor. His probation had closed. God answered Saul, not mercy. That door was shut, my friends. All right, is there any other? Judas Iscariot. John chapter 13, verse 27 through verse 30. What did Christ say to Judas? He says, Judas, what thou doest, Judas, doeth quickly. Christ wasn't saying, hurry up and go betray me. Surrender. It's your last opportunity. The betrayer is right here at the table. What happened now in verse 30 of John chapter 13? The Bible says, when Judas left that table, John 13 and verse 30, it says, And then having received the sop, Judas went immediately out, and it was night. What does that mean, my friends? The door was shut on Judas Iscariot. Did he drop dead right away? No, no. The door was shut. Yet he lived hours afterward. So what is God saying to us, my friends? What is God saying to us? It's time for us to be married to Jesus. Or else what will happen? The door of probation, the door of salvation will be shut. The question is, has that door shut for you? That's the question. The question is, has that door shut for me? For you, that door will be shut one day. It's time for us to be married to Jesus. Even those online, not because you're not here locally, it's time for us to examine ourselves. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. The midnight cry, those who were ready, went in with him to the marriage. And the door was shut. There will be a shut door. Let me tell you something, my friends. When the son of the law is passed, and we all make that final decision, and based on scripture, you only have one decision. Pardon me, pardon me. One opportunity to make a choice. It's not take the test, fail, and come back again. No such thing. It is now that we must be doing our homework. So when that final, that's what's called a final test. When the Sunday law is passed and we can buy, we can't sell, except we receive Sunday worship and renounce God's seventh day Sabbath. It's your final decision. If you dare make the wrong decision, 
Oh, Lord, have mercy upon our souls. If we dare make the wrong decision, guess what? You're going to hear something, my friends. You will hear a voice saying, Ephraim. You can put your name there. Hosea chapter 4, verse 17. Ephraim is joined to his idol. Let him alone. That door will be shut, my friends. And one clear sign is when that first plague hits, you will know. When those plagues hit, you will know the door will be shut. Luke chapter 13. Go there with me. Luke 13 shows us a conversation that will take place when Christ stands up and shuts the door. And many professed Christians will, be, will have the, the, the audacity to be questioning the decision of Christ when he shuts that door. There is a stanza in the song that says, How shall we stand in that great day? Shall we be found wanting? Or with all of our sins all washed away, it says, when Christ brings that verdict, there'll be no appeal. I mean, where's the hymn now? Find that song for me. What number is that? Four, four something? Huh? Find that song. The judgment has said. For, for what now? 416. Go there. I want that stanza. No appeal. Let me get, uh, I believe it's that, based on that hymnal. I believe it's number, let me get that. Thank you so much. Let me get that. Thank you so much. All right. May I, my friends? It's serious. Because we sing these songs not realizing what the song is really saying. Watch carefully. The third stanza, it says, how shall we stand that moment of searching? When all our sins, those books reveal. When from that court, each case decided, shall be granted no appeal. How shall we stand? Thank you. In that great day, shall we be found wanting? Or with all of our sins, what, my friends? All right. Luke chapter 13. Do you know what many are going to say when their door is shut? Hear me. Many folks are going, Lord, you can't shut the door on me. Lord, I, I ate from your table. Lord, I drank from your table. Lord, I went to a present truth church. My name was on the church record, Lord. In other words, questioning the decision of Christ, your door is shut. And they bring up excuses. They look at their works and say, Lord, you can't shut me out. Look at my works. Look at this. Luke chapter 13. Oh, my friend. It's time to examine ourselves. Look at verse 24 with no skip on down. Verse 25. Luke 13, 25. It says this. When once the master of the house is what? What does it mean to rise up? You stand up. Why? Because when Christ went to heaven... Paul, Peter, all said he went to sit at the right hand. And the sitting of Christ means what? He's interceding. But when Michael stands up, when the master, let's go back, when the master of the house, what's the house? The church. When the master of the church is risen up and hath what? Shut the door and you begin. 
to stand where? Oh, my Lord. Where will many be found? Come on, talk. Where, where will many folks be found? Do you know why many will be found outside? Because you put Christ on the outside of your life. And when he was knocking, you did not let him in. So now when you knock, he won't let you in. Do unto others. What's the golden rule the world say? Do unto others as you have them do unto you. So when he's knocking, if you don't let him in, why when you knock, he will, he will let, let you in. So now, is Christ now knocking? So what must we do? Let him in, my friend. And watch, if we let Christ in now, guess what? We, would, we won't find ourselves on the outside knocking to have him let us in. Why? Because we have brought Jesus already into our hearts, our homes. What do you say? All right. Verse 25, and you begin to stand without and to knock at the door saying what? Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence you are. Wow. So it's not enough to say you know Jesus. Does he know you? Have you ever seen some people in the marketplace? You say, John. He's like, hey, John. Do I know you? Have folks ever called some name and look at you? And it's not your name. And they're looking at you, Mark. And I'm like, <laughs> you got the wrong person, buddy. It's not enough to say you know somebody. Does Christ know you? All right. Verse 26, listen to what they say now. Then shall you begin to say, we have eaten and drunk in thy presence. Wow. And thou hast taught, we're you came to our church. I went to that church. I was in your presence, Lord. Yes. But what does Christ say? But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence you are. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There shall be what? Weeping and gnashing of teeth. You can pause right there, my friend. You can stop right there. So many are going to say, Lord, I sat in church. Now, they, they, they will say, I never ate from Jezebel's table. Mm -mm. I ate bread from your table. I ate, I drank in your presence. And yet, my friends, they were hypocrites in darkness. When no one was looking, they were living a lie. How shall we stand that moment of searching? When all our sins, those books reveal. When from that court... Each case is decided, shall be granted, no appeal. The door is shut. It's serious, my friends. Sometimes I wonder what tears were in the eyes of Noah as he preached the same message for 120 years. And what they must have said of Noah. Noah, you are a fanatic. Noah, you are just scaring the people. Oh, Noah, just preach more love, Noah. 
Just preach more about God, Noah. Did they get on board the ark? No, the door was shut, my friends. And the Sunday law is near upon us, and the door is about to be shut. Why? Because many of us are not ready. And that's why we are told in volume 5, page 214, that many of us think that when the last days come upon us, a self-sacrificing, patriotic spirit will be developed in a moment because it is needed. Oh no, this spirit must be blended with our daily experience and be infused in the minds and hearts of our children daily by precept and example. In the end, you can be what you were not. That's why many of us will have the door shut. Can you imagine that day, my friends? And the sun, the law is right upon us. Now watch the point. My friends, the reason why I say this is going to be a very serious message. Things are happening very fast all around us. And I knelt down in my office this morning. I said, Lord, give me what the people need to hear today. You're going to see what God showed me to share with you. And these signs, events, are not just to say prophecy, but they prove the Bible is inspired. They prove Jesus is real. They prove that there is a God in the heaven and sanctuary, and he's coming not soon, he's coming quickly. They also show, since the Bible is inspired, we can claim the promises in times of crises. And these things, events, are the clock on the wall showing us it's time to get ready and get ready quickly. Why? The end is approaching quickly. Jesus is even at the doors. And the door of salvation is about to be what? It's about to be shut. They're calling for the man of sin to come to the EU, the European Union, this year, October 2017. And do you know what they literally said? We want Sunday to be enforced in Europe, October. Watch carefully. Watch. May 19, 2017. Headline says what? Pope invited by bishops to address the future of Europe. Skip on down. It says uh, the event titled Rethinking Europe has been organized by Comis in collaboration with the Holy See. Let's read now. And what? And will take place in Rome when? October 27th and October 29th. What's, what will happen October 31st of the same year? The same month, the same week. The so-called end of the Protestant Reformation. All right, read on. It says now, next phrase, this marks the 60th anniversary. Friends, I'm, take, I'm, I'm in no rush today. Of the treatise of Rome, which laid the foundation of what? The European Union. Said Cardinal Marx, he stressed in a press release that what? The rethinking 
Europe Forum will be a start of a process of dialogue between what and what? Between the church's representatives and the whom and the politicians who have political responsibility and make what decisions. Is this not a union of church and state? Commise this group. Watch carefully now. What is your headline here now, my friends? Headline, catholicculture.org. European bishops back. Pillar of social rights. Call for recognition of Sunday rest. What more do you want to hear? What more do you want to hear? The same communist group in the paragraph there. What more do you want to hear, my friends? Is there Sunday law near? All right. May I give you number two? I'm taking my time today. Serious, my friends. Do you remember last week we spoke about biometrics? The biometric card, it has gotten even worse this week. Ready for it? Watch. Let's go back in memory lane. Watch. We saw in India, I won't spend much time here, just touch and go. In India, it says the biometric is now mandatory. The, every citizen, every civilian in India, it is, it is uh, they're being forced to enroll. Now watch the point. It says, if you bring in this biometric database and the chip, and the ID, it says, uh, if you don't have it, you can't eat. R the first line of red words, you can't eat. And then it says, by bringing the biometric card and the scans of the iris, the fingerprints, it says, carefully now, when this happens in India, India will now lose her constitutional right to privacy. That people, last sentence, people no longer can claim absolute right over their bodies. I won't spend much time there. And then we see in UK, it's coming, 2017. And we saw in Arizona, it's already here. And we saw Congressman Ron Paul, former Congressman Ron Paul, who loves to speak about our true liberties in America. Amen. And he's very conservative. It doesn't mean you go follow Ron Paul now. Follow Jesus. Amen. Yes. All right. He says to bring in the biometric card. He says this will repudiate. Last red line. It will repudiate our constitutional. Of course, he said the other word. Protected liberties. I add to that. It is dangerous to our civil liberties. Then he said, watch, he says, uh, skip on down the bottom paragraph. I'll read this one together. Come on. National ID cards are not proper in a free society. This is America, not Soviet Russia. Let's read. The federal government should never be allowed to demand papers from American citizens. And it certainly has no constitutional authority to do so. That means when the biometric cards come in, it is showing our society is no longer 
free. Was Sister One inspired? Yes. Put down volume 5, 5T, volume 5, page 451. Every principle of the U.S. Constitution will be repudiated and put down GC. 588, great controversy, page 588. Then came Ron Paul again. Must I give you this one? Move on. And this was the biometrics he was talking about. Then we saw last week, last week, May 26, 2017, what did Pennsylvania do as a state? They brought in the biometric cards. The law was passed. And now they will roll these things out gradually. May I say it quickly? And then we saw in Oklahoma, again in last week, the biometric database cards are now being issued in America. And of course, they are saying it is not mandatory. But of course, they would say that. And then something happens, all of a sudden it becomes what? What's that something? All we need are more so-called terrorist attack. And that's what we saw in Manchester, Britain. The horrible attack in Manchester is now, this is, this is, a, this is a national security advisor seeing this last week. What we now need is a biometric 